Hi, this is Jonathan Horton, one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship in Odessa, Texas. I want to thank you for tuning into the podcast today. Wherever you are listening to this, I hope that this message encourages you, gives you hope, and reminds you that you are loved. Good morning. If we've never met before, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace. And if today is your first time with us or online, welcome. So glad that you're with us. Uh, you know, if you're a football fan, who, who are my football fans out here? A, a, a few, all right. But not everybody, right? But uh, I heard this stat <clears throat> that there have been some uh, football games, specifically Super Bowl, where they estimate that one third of our nation has watched this game. Now, I don't know how they get inside your living rooms and know how many people are watching around your TV. I think somebody, you know, there's definitely a preacher on the other side of that counting people for the Super Bowl, right? And and so uh, they, they, they say this, but for everybody who doesn't like necessarily football, you might like the commercials that are in this. And so uh, that's what this kind of idea of 30-second theology is, except for today, we're going to do it a little bit uh, different. Uh, we are still going to show you commercials, but we're actually going to be show you, showing you these commercials that this company, He Gets Us, uh, has been putting together. Actually, actually, Glue has been putting together, but they call it He Gets Us. I don't know if you've seen some of these commercials, but uh, they're really built on top of this concept that uh, some Christians began to to look around and and they began to think, how does the world perceive Jesus? And and they were saddened by the fact that, that many people would look at Jesus and they would see a figure that maybe stands for hate or maybe stands for separating people out. Instead of seeing Jesus as who he truly is, that he is love. There's literally no one on the planet, or in heaven, that that loves you more than Jesus. I mean, and and so they really were at this place like, we've got to change this narrative. We can't have people walking around thinking that that Jesus hates them and that Jesus doesn't love them and and that Jesus doesn't want a relationship with them. And so they started to launch this He Gets Us campaign, planning to spend like $100 million on convincing people that Jesus loves them, right? You know, a, a number of years ago, you can remember the WWJD bracelets, it's kind of like that, but just digitally. We, we got cell phones now, right? But it, it's such a neat thing that, the, that they would try to do this. And, and here's who their market is that they're going after. People who don't know Jesus or people who just kind of know about Jesus but aren't following him yet. And so you may watch some of these commercials, um, maybe not the ones we show today, but you may see some of them. You might be like, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. They're really trying to get people to look into this person of Jesus. And when people do, when they really do, that's when life change happens. And it's amazing. And so uh, let's dive into what our first commercial will be today and then let's talk all about what Jesus' character is all about. Check this out. A caring man took a walk. Everywhere he looked, people suffered. Anxiety ran high, hope dwindled, Hatred rose. His neighbors had lost trust in the system and in each other. I need to do something, he thought. I'll bring them together and feed them. Around the dinner table, they can talk and see how much they have in common. 
shared struggles, shared joy, shared pain. So he prepared a feast and invited all into his home. But some refused to sit at his table because they chose to only see differences. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to eat and be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. Jesus, during his ministry, he would get a lot of flack for the company that he kept. And and at a time where they would uh, say, some 2,000 years ago, hey, the Jews are God's people, and they need to be over here. And, And then the rest of the world, they're the Gentiles. And there would be this separation between them. During Jesus's ministry, he was not only coming for God's people, the Jews, he was coming for everyone. And we should be thankful in this room, as I'm sure the majority of us are Gentiles in here. Jesus came for all that, that we might know who he is and that we might be saved. And so throughout his ministry, he would be seen interacting with lots of people that others would be like, hey, Jesus, do you know who you're hanging out with? That's the town, and you name it. That's the town prostitute. That's the town drunk. Uh, that's the, 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 the town person that, that's had a, a disease called leprosy that you can't touch unless you're going to become, and you're going to become unclean. Hey, Jesus, do you know who you're talking with? And he did, and he loved them, and he cared for them. And, and, and in our culture today, so often we can think to ourselves, oh, well, well Jesus only cares people who kind of look this certain way or act this certain way or are buttoned up and cleaned up. No, Jesus loves everyone and he calls us all to come to know him. And, and the neat thing is, is, is he would do this thing that was both spiritual and relational. He would say, let's gather together around a table. Let's eat together. And, and he would get flack for eating with sinners. Uh, For instance, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, this is one of those instances. Jesus is at Levi's house, a tax collector's house, with other tax collectors and with other sinners. Look what it says here. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law... Uh, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, and I love this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So why is Jesus hanging out with sinners? Why is Jesus interacting with uh, all the different people that he interacts with? Not just taking his message to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. He's doing this because he is love. And he doesn't want to leave people in their sin. He doesn't want to leave people in, in the life that they are in. Whether they chose it or not, he wants to pull them into a new life with him. And so Jesus would, would have these meals. My question is, Are you the same type of person as Jesus is in the way that you love other people, in the way that you say, hey, more more people can come around my table. I can be friends with both the saved and the unsaved. 
and, and, and that you can be friends with the saved, but you can be friends with the unsaved and, and not just jump into the lifestyle that they're living as well, being the example that Christ wants you to be, loving them, caring for them. You know, one of the things that we get wrong at times is we think that in church sometimes that, that we all need to be cleaned up, that we need to be this word righteous before we come in here. And the church isn't supposed to be this uh, hotel for saints. You've heard this. It's supposed to be a hospital for sinners. And and we wrongly think, oh, I've got to get righteous. I need to clean myself up before I come in to church. And really, this should be the place, uh, much like the dinner tables that Jesus sat at, where where we would all come together, where we're all bringing our baggage, where we're all bringing our our different ideas of of who Jesus is, even bringing our questions, is he even real? And then we sit in here together, all loving one another, caring for one another, being okay that we look different and act different and are from different social economics. And then we come together and we say, all right, we're learning about the love of, of Jesus. And we, it, it, it's all right. It, it, if you don't have it all together, it's all right if a cuss word slips out of your mouth out in the lobby, right? Now, somebody might hit you with their purse, but that's okay too, right? <laughs> but I, I, I want you to know, like, when, when we all come together and we really do believe that you don't have to be righteous and all put together to be here, guess what? Sometimes it's gonna get a little messy, but Jesus wants everybody at his dinner table. And we need to search inside of our hearts and begin to ask the question, do we live in that same type of way? Or is there some prejudice that we have? Or is there there some kind of uh, leaning into, oh, I want everybody to kind of look like me? Because here's the risk. And I wanna tell this to, to people that have been following Jesus for a long time. As you follow Jesus longer, The risk is instead of looking more like Jesus, we start looking more like the Pharisees, the religious leaders that Jesus said. And they're always nitpicking people. And those were the people that Jesus was the hardest on. He's like, you should know better. And here, here's what, what you're doing. You're, you're saying these things. You know, I heard this story this last week. I think it was some social media story that I heard, but it was this guy who said that he was talking to someone and, and he said, hey, I got, I got kicked out of that church because uh, I struggle with alcohol. And they, they said, come, you can come back when you're not drunk anymore, right? And, and now, I don't know the whole circumstance. Maybe he walked in all belligerent and all those things, right? But in this moment, the, this man who, who maybe was a preacher, maybe wasn't, but he was a Christ follower, he says, do you want to have Bible study together? And so they sit down together and they, they begin having a Bible study. He's like, is it okay if I drink a beer while we do Bible study? He's like, go for it, man. And, and, and so they begin to study God's word. And then the next week they get together for Bible study and he brings another one of his alcoholic friends to join them for Bible study. By the end of this, they end up having six guys that are all struggling with alcoholism uh, studying God's word inside uh, one of their homes. And slowly but surely, this same guy who, who wasn't welcomed in whatever church that he was in gave his life to Christ. And through that process of giving his life to Christ, he finally had the power through the Holy Spirit to step away from this addiction in his life. And each one of those six people ended up giving up their alcoholism. Now, uh, I I know that we might have a new crowd in here today, and in no way am I saying, hey, you can't ever drink, right? Jesus turned water to wine. But the Bible does say that we shouldn't get drunk. 
And this was something that was holding these people back from the life that they should live. And and they came along and this guy just loved them, but then Jesus did his work. We've gotta be careful that we don't try to change somebody before we get them to Jesus. So as Jesus would love people and as he would invite them into conversations and hang out at dinner parties and all those things, uh, you can imagine that this would begin to kind of cause some tensions at times. You know, Jesus initially, when he was uh, starting his ministry, people were flocking to him like crazy. But as they flocked to Jesus, uh, he wasn't always saying things that they liked. So check out this next video. There was an influencer who became insanely popular. Everybody started following him. Then one day, he stood up for something he believed in. People got angry. The establishment called him an extremist, said he shouldn't be allowed to share his views. They would stop at nothing to shut him up. So they did what they had to do. They nailed him to a cross. We live in a culture today where, where a lot of Christians, they've silenced their voice <clears throat> in, uh, because they've been afraid of cancel culture. They've been afraid, hey, if I speak out about Jesus and who he is and, 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 and how amazing he is and trying to get people to him, that, that people might shut me down, that people might uh, cancel me or get upset with me or get angry with me. And, and when Jesus uh, was, was first preaching, people would, like I said, they would flock to him. Listen to what Luke chapter four, and we're gonna kind of walk through some of this scripture together, but Luke chapter four says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in, the, in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So Jesus is like traveling around. He's going to different synagogues. He's getting opportunities to preach. And as he preaches, He had a very similar message as John the Baptist in the beginning. He was preaching, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And as people heard Jesus preach, they would think, man, this guy, uh, God has got a blessing on him. They didn't realize he was God, right? But God's got a blessing on him and look how he's teaching and this is amazing. But quickly they would find out that Jesus wasn't just there to make everybody feel good about this message that he was going to say. And so it it continues on uh, in Luke chapter four where people were praising him, but then it says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. This is like uh, the Jewish church of their time. And as was his custom, he, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. <clears throat> unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And before we get into that, here, here's kind of uh, how I, I read that, that this went in a lot of the synagogue teachings that would happen on Sabbath day. They, they would generally read about six different readings. So I, so I read, and, and one of those readings were always out of the book of the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. And there was a three-year rotation that that book of the law would be uh, read. But when it got to this part, it seems most likely like Jesus would have gotten to choose what he was going to read. So here he is back in his, his hometown in Nazareth where he grew up. He stands up to read in the synagogue. And can you imagine this moment? He's back. 
he, he's back home. Look, do you remember Jesus when he was a little kid? You remember how good or maybe how bad he was as a student? And all of a sudden, Jesus has, is back in the synagogue. He's getting to read these scriptures. He's handed this scripture from Isaiah, which speaks about him. And look what it says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. So, so Jesus, he reads this, and, and these things have been coming true in, uh, in his life. The Spirit of the Lord's on him. We saw when Jesus was baptized, the, the, the Spirit came down on him like a dove. And then we begin to, to hear that he proclaimed this good news to the poor. He's been going around. He's been teaching and preaching. He healed people that were blind. He, he, he healed those that were oppressed by making them free. And so he, he hands the scroll back, and this is what would normally happen. They would stand up, they would read the scroll, they would give it back, and then they would sit down, and when they sat down, that's when they would begin to teach. And so then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? So they continue to kind of ask this question, but then Jesus, in the midst of this where, where seemingly people are saying, man, look, He's really becoming a man. Look at how he teaches and, and, and talks. He begins to have something harder to share with them. He's not just interested in likes. He's interested in helping people take next steps towards him, towards Jesus. And so Jesus says to them, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what, you have, uh, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And so then Jesus, he begins to share with them about some Old Testament uh, scriptures, some Old Testament prophets. He says, hey, you know about Elijah. Well, Elijah, he was, he was sent uh, not to his own people, but he was sent to Gentiles. Uh, you know about Elisha. Elijah, Elisha as well, he was sent not to his own people, but he was sent to the Gentiles to heal and do miraculous works that he says in here. And he's trying to point out something to his people in Nazareth, the Jews, uh, the, the ones that should be closer to God. He's saying, hey, God sent these prophets from the past to these other people because you were lacking something. And he's trying to help them see in the same way these, these followers of God in Nazareth, they were lacking something. So, so he says this to them, once again, kind of going back into the story. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine, so there's no food throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath. In the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy, this terrible skin disease, in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. 
So he tells them this story. He's helping them, them begin to see, hey, he's saying something a little uncomfortable. And he says, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What do you think? Like Jesus like flexed and they all got scared? And he just like walked through them? Like, wow, he's got Jesus muscles. Like, like I, don't, I don't know what happened, but can you imagine like the tension of this moment? And in one level, they're like, yes, Jesus, he's amazing. And the next, they're like, let's take him to the hill. We're throwing him off. And he's, he's going away because of the things that he said. But it wasn't his time yet. And we don't know how it happened, but he was able to just walk right through that crowd after they had him backed up at this hill. So, Here's what I want us to see, is that sometimes, sometimes God's going to, to, to ask us to, that, that hey, you, you can't just worry about the likes. Sometimes you may have to actually influence in such a way where people kind of, they might want to cancel you. Now, once again, we, we, we've got to balance this with the first conversation we had about who do we invite around our dinner table? How do we love people? And, and here's where we've got it wrong. And I already alluded to this at first, is that, that sometimes, as believers, uh, how we get it wrong is we worry about pointing out people's sins before we worry about getting them to Jesus. And, and so, uh, instead of our friends uh, hearing about Jesus or, or us loving them or us inviting them to church, they might hear us say other things like, hey, you shouldn't dress like that. Hey, you shouldn't talk like that. Hey, you shouldn't watch those things. And, and there is a place for those, right? Sometimes being a good friend is, is, is helping in those ways. But if your goal is just to make them act and look more like you before they even know why they would, We've got to get them to Jesus first. So let's not mistake us saying, oh, if we clean up their behavior, then all of a sudden they're clean. The only person who makes us clean is Jesus and what he did for us by dying on the cross for our sins. So uh, let's not be followers of Jesus that give Jesus a bad name. But in the same way, here's where we also get it wrong. In the same way, uh, where God does say that we can judge one another is actually when we both stand up and say, we are both followers of Jesus. Where we can begin to, to point out sin in each other's life, where we can begin to have accountability with one another and help one another and gently say, hey, I think you're going down the wrong path. Hey, I'm worried about some of these, these things that I'm seeing in your life. It doesn't seem like the fruit of the Spirit. It seems like the fruit of something else. And sometimes as Christians, we, we can kind of have this idea of we're like, hey, you can't judge me. You can't tell me what I can and can't do. When we're both saying we're on, I love this shirt, when we're both saying we're on team Jesus, this is something that we should be doing out of love. But not as a way to like get somebody, but as a way to love them and care for them and help them along in the same way that we should want that accountability in our lives as well. We should want that. We should want people looking out for us and helping us, not gossiping and judging us, but, but people that are wanting to help us grow closer to Jesus. So as Jesus did this and as he began to, to speak this message a little bit more, you could uh, imagine that people got upset and this next commercial kind of uh, points to that. Check this out. 
There was this controversial figure. Everywhere he went, people challenged him. They questioned his ideology, trolled him, called him ugly names. But he never took the bait, never raised his voice, refused to retaliate because he believed he could change the world by turning the other cheek. As we get angry and upset, as Satan is doing things in the world and, and, and begins to, to push our buttons, we've got to ask, well, what type of a reaction do we want to have? And I love what Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount on Ma- in Matthew chapter 5 when he says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What a different concept. Love your neighbors. Pray for your enemies. Pray for the ones that are coming against you, that are persecuting you. That you may, may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I love this challenge that that Jesus gives us in this. He kind of calls us out and he says, hey, if we're just patting ourselves on the back because we're loving people that are easy to love, he goes, all right, great. Well, the rest of the world is doing that as well. But if we want to really follow Jesus in the way that Jesus lived is we say, all right, we actually love people that are difficult to love also. Say, all right, Jesus, I, 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 I'm gonna be like you. And so when, when people come against me, instead of my first reaction being to fight back with my words or fight back with my fists, but instead our reaction is, all right, there's something bigger going on here. Let me pray about this. This is difficult. This takes maturity in the way that we pursue Jesus. But what if we started to live more and more like this? You think people would have a wrong idea of who Jesus is in those moments? I think they would begin to see who he really is and what his followers are really all about. Uh, Jesus uh, pictured this, this picture of this love that we're supposed to have for our enemies was pictured so well towards the end of Jesus's life. Uh, maybe you've heard about this scene. Jesus, he's, he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he keeps trying to wake up his disciples. He's like, hey, I need you praying with me. They keep falling asleep. And so Jesus, he, he goes back to uh, his followers and he's trying to wake them up again, but it's right in that moment that a mob comes to him. And as this mob is coming to him to end his life, we see some people reacting how we might want to, and then we see Jesus once again calling us, hey, let's not react like the rest of the world is. Look at what this picture that Jesus shows us in Luke chapter 22. He says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up And the man who was called Judas, this is one of his followers that had betrayed him, uh, one of the 12 was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Can you imagine this moment? Like, where'd you get that sword? What is going on, right? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. It got real, real quick, right? 
A dude lost his ear. He couldn't hear what was going on. And yeah. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And this, Jesus, only Jesus can do this. He touched the man's ear and healed it. He met everybody else is like, wow, what just happened? Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. They're coming, they're taking him in the darkness of the night. Jesus is like, hey, you've had lots of opportunities for, for me uh, to get me in the past, and you haven't. But once again, right in this moment, Jesus could have called his uh, band of brothers to fight for him, say, let's get out of this. But he didn't, and he knew what was coming. I mean, uh, right before this, we hear about him uh, literally sweating blood because he's so distressed over what's about to happen. And Jesus believed that there is a different way, that we don't have to fly off the handle, that we don't have to live with hate, that we really can pray for our enemies. And he proves that so well as he hung on the cross. Check out this last video. Maybe, maybe. All right, no sound. But let me tell you how this ends. It talks about the, these different people that are persecuting Jesus. But then at the end, it, 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 it talks about that when Jesus was hung on the cross, that the words that he said on the cross was for the same people that were mocking him, that hung him there, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. This comes out of Luke chapter 23. And in the same way, are we willing to forgive people that have wronged us, that have come against us, are we willing to forgive them? Because once again, when, when people don't, aren't living for Christ and, and they're coming against you, there, there's a lot more going on than, than just them coming against you. There's a spiritual battle that's happening as well. But are we willing not just to love, but to forgive? Because that is an extremely difficult thing as well. And, and all of these are steps in our Christian maturity. Man, Jesus wants us to be people who say, hey, we sit around the dinner table with people don't, that don't look like us and act like us. Jesus wants us to be people that are willing to love and not hate. Uh, Jesus should be known as the one that loves the most and, and who has followers that are willing to sacrifice and serve other people, not as someone who, who is a bigot and somebody who hates. Man, let's make sure that we're proclaiming the right Jesus to the world. And the world hopefully will see that he gets us. Because as it says in Hebrews, he's gone through everything you and I have. He has been tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. Man, Jesus gets us. He, he came from heaven to earth. He lived the same life that we're having to live, yet he was without sin. He was perfect. And he went to the cross, being the perfect sacrifice for you and I so that we could be saved. We couldn't be saved on our own, but because of Jesus, we can be saved. Man, this is huge. This is something that, that just like the song earlier, man, we should say, God, thank you. But it should also be the thing that when we give our lives over to Christ, 
when we confess him as our Lord and Savior and said, God, would you forgive me of my sins? That that should also be the thing that gives us the strength to love and not hate. It gives us the strength to, to look beyond differences and, and care for people that, that are different than us. It gives us the strength not to call somebody to, to act like we do before they know Jesus. So can we be encouraged by this idea of how do we want to live for him? But the first step is, if you haven't taken this already, is to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. It's as simple as a prayer that you can pray today. You can do it from the quietness of your own seat, saying, Jesus, I am bad, I have sinned, and I need you. I believe in you. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Or we'll have some prayer partners up here in just a little bit after this next song, and we would love to help you pray that prayer as well. You say, hey, I need some help with this. Or maybe you've got some unforgiveness or you've got some other things going on in your life. Our prayer partners would love to be able to meet with you and talk through that and, and go before God with you in the midst of that. Church family, let's pray and let's sing to our Lord. God, you are our everything. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. God, thank you for the way that you uh, have come to this earth. Thank you for showing us the way not just teaching it, but God, you lived it. It's so good to know that, that you did these things that we get to read about. God, help us to be more like you. God, I also pray that today, as these He Gets Us commercials are in the Super Bowl, Father, that it would cause some people to pause and, and cause some people to say, whoa, 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 was that, was that a Jesus commercial? And they would think differently about you because of these commercials. Jesus, you are everything. It's in you that we live and pray and sing now. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Make sure to subscribe to this channel so that you can keep up with new content as it becomes available. We would also ask that if you have been encouraged by this ministry, that you would consider partnering with us financially. Your support helps us to continue our mission of helping people move from where they are to where God is calling them to be. You can find all the ways to give at graceodessa.com give. Thank you.